0: Welcome to the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy Podcast for another example of astronomy misconceptions, mistakes, half-truths, and conspiracies. My name is Stuart Robbins, and this is episode 37 for the ultimate quarter of May 2012. Today I'm bringing you an interview with two lawyers, but as far as I can tell, they are not evil, except for liking Hershey's chocolate. (laughs) No no interrupting during the bio. (laughs) This pair go by the pseudonym of Nigel and Lady St. Whitehall in order to protect their day jobs from what they say or do for skepticism or conspiracies. They are attorneys who live in Hershey, Pennsylvania, USA. Nigel runs the Skeptical Review blog, which comments on various skeptical podcasts and related topics since 2009. It's also been favorable to my own podcast in the past. Nigel is a government attorney, while the lady works for a private sector law firm. The St. Whitehalls are the indulgent owners of a dog, cat, and turtle, or tortoise for non-U.S. folks. <laughs> Both are older than I am, which is why they're allowed on. So, with all that said and done, welcome to the podcast, Lord and Lady. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you.
2: Uh, hi, uh, I guess you're the, uh, are, you, wait, are you still technically the Astronomer Royale? I, I am Carl's astronomer royale for the conspiracy
0: skeptic. As yep. far as I know, I haven't been on in a year or so.
2: Yeah, I haven't been on in a while either. Maybe maybe he doesn't like us anymore. I'm not quite sure.
0: Yeah, well, we all have our own things to do. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, so getting right to it, being lawyers, I hear that the lady has a lengthy disclaimer to read at the beginning.
1: Well, not, I hope it's not too lengthy, but lawyers like to uh, cover every eventuality known to man at this point. Uh, We just, you know, it's similar to the disclaimer you had in your uh, episode about uh, although we are lawyers, uh, both my husband and myself, we do not purport to give any legal advice uh, by speaking on this podcast. So this uh, should not be taken as advice uh, by anyone listening. Uh, Also, we do not. Uh, pretend to be experts in this field, Uh, although we are both uh, attorneys and graduated law school and passed our state bar exams, uh, there's very strict rules about what you can call yourself an expert in, and that's varied among the 50 states, so we don't uh, hold ourselves out as experts in really any field, (laughs) but um, uh, just for purposes of this uh, podcast, we don't hold ourselves out as experts in property rights or astronomy law and the like, but we do have our general lawyerly knowledge and scholarship, and we feel that that allows us to pontificate and try and sound more important than we are.
2: That's right. I had a whole course on air and space law in, like, 1996, so it's just fresh right in my memory right now. So, <laughs> Well, that's more, that's more recent than my last space law uh, <laughs> course, which
0: was never. So, uh, so as the lady said, uh, today I did invite you on to talk about Uh, follow-up to episode 27, which was on what I termed stellar scams and extraterrestrial property rights, where uh, from that episode, you were really the only ones to respond when I asked, by the way, if there's a lawyer out there, let me know if I'm at all wrong here. And you basically said, yeah, I think you're right. So I thought that we would uh, get you on in order to do a few follow-ups and- I thought it would be nice if you could quickly rehash the gist of the law right now in terms of what the international treaties say about how people can actually get recognized to have property rights.
1: Well, I mean, right now, everyone does still go by the uh, Outer Space Treaty, as you referenced previously. I mean, there's really been no updates to that uh, since uh, 1967, when the whole race to space was going on, and so everyone uh, mainly still goes by that. I mean, everyone's still signatory. All the major nations are still signatories and recognize the Outer Space Treaty, and no one's withdrawn from it in any sense. So there's really not a lot of new stuff uh, other than uh, private firms working for NASA and doing some other stuff. But, I I mean, there's as for broad overarching... uh, Rules. I, I think everyone's still basically going by the Outer Space Treaty.
2: Yeah, there is the was the Moon Treaty from oh. 1979, but that was never ratified, so it yeah, doesn't really count.
0: So, what about more generally, though, in terms of uh, on Earth, how are property rights granted or recognized? Well, Just to I, give us the background for for our own planet.
1: Well, it basically does go by sovereign nations and and by governments. Uh, you have a uh, a lot of detail in, uh, there's a lot of different details about acquisition by, uh, working the land. You, I mean, you can go all the way back to John Locke's theory of labor, where if you work the land and you are able to get something out of it, then you're the one who possesses the land. There's actually also like going back further, just to take the United States as example, there was a landmark case in which, uh, a plaintiff, uh, gained land from a native american tribe and a defendant gained land the same land from the united states government so of course the case ended up before the courts uh who was the rightful owner of the land the plaintiff who purchased said land from the native americans or the uh, defendant who purchased it from the government and the government won uh, because the government had been taking the land from the Native Americans. And basically, it, it was in part politically motivated in that if the court held otherwise, you could have had a lot of problems in the United States. Uh, so it was politically motivated in one part, but uh, otherwise it, it was uh, that the nation, the uh, government of the land, was able to give rights in the land. So that's uh, kind of where, I hope that's broad enough for you, that's kind of where it kind of stems from, that you get uh, the property from a government who exerts uh, control over it.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's important to understand how it works on Earth if we're going to go and talk about how it would supposedly maybe work on other objects, Mm -hmm. because we're the basis for it, because we're the ones who are going forward. Yeah, as long as there
2: are no aliens, well, sure. And, and chances <laughs> are, they they have better technology than us, and, and they'll own us anyway. Um, but like, I, I the only ex- the example I keep going back to in my head is that when we were, when the the new world, North America, is being colonized, um, you know, there were people landing and saying, "This land is, you know, this I, I'm claiming this chunk of land," but they're always claiming it on behalf of some European country. Mm-hmm. And, for example, in Pennsylvania, um, the I think it was Charles II uh, gave what was what was Pennsylvania to William Penn's family uh, to pay off a, a debt.
0: Yeah, Penn's Woods,
2: if I recall correctly. Yeah. Admiral Penn basically helped uh, Charles II uh, bankroll some of his uh, efforts, and he didn't have the money to pay him back. The king did. So he said, here's this land in North America— so, and the whole idea was that William Penn, the Penn family controlled the land, and then they would sell off parcels and give rights to people underneath the protection of the King of England for those pieces of land. And at the same time, it would get interesting where in western Pennsylvania, out towards what's now Pittsburgh, that area was claimed by the uh, King of France. <laughs> so you had people claiming parts of western Pennsylvania, and ultimately you had a bunch of French and Indian wars, and ultimately – you know, the English won, the French lost, so the rights of the, the English settlers uh, prevailed over the rights of any French settlers in that area. But it, it still came back to some government had to back up those claims. So if you don't have a government backing up your claims, uh, you really don't have a claim. Okay.
1: And I did just want to point out also that we're talking broadly about property or land, but there's a difference between property uh, owning the land and then owning mineral rights to the land. There's a -hmm. Latin phrase that I'm trying to find in my property outline notes back from law school and I simply cannot find it and it's driving me crazy. But there's a a latin phrase that talks about uh, whether you have the rights in the sky above you and the land and minerals below the property that you actually own. I mean, that comes up very frequently in Pennsylvania, for example, with all this fracking talk. Yeah. There's a lot of natural gas that companies are trying to get. So, a lot of the uh landowners up in particularly I think the northeast uh, or north northern Pennsylvania are looking at their deeds and their lands and, and seeing whether or not they can sell the mineral rights under their land to these uh, mining companies and fracking companies to make a tidy profit.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. Like, do you own, you know, how far underneath your property do you own? Do you own just to the foundation of your house? Or if you don't have a house? I, huh.
2: Well, and, and um, uh, I mean, this is you might want to edit this out, but when the space race <laughs> first began, Um, You know, uh, nations claim the airspace over their countries. Oh, yeah. Well, when Sputnik – one of the good things about Sputnik going up first was that when Sputnik went up and it orbited over all the countries of the world, that allowed the United States to send up satellites and send it all around the world because the Russians had set the precedent that you can orbit a satellite around the world and not run into uh, cl- uh, claims of running into somebody else's controlled airspace or, I guess, the space above their airspace. So you could have spy satellites and they couldn't do anything about it or protest it. You know,
0: this shows how much coast-to-coast I'd listen to. I actually remember Richard Hoagland coming on several years ago and saying that that was part of the conspiracy of NASA was that we'd let the Russians launch Sputnik first so that when it orbited everywhere, we could then have that precedent and say, well, so can we.
2: Yeah, well, I think we still would have liked to have gotten our satellite up first. (laughs) Yeah, It wouldn't be so embarrassing. (laughs) Yeah, and well, and Hoagland isn't the topic of this episode. Uh, (laughs) So
0: now that we have that background in place, very shortly after I posted episode 27, uh, there were three, or actually, there were two Wired.com articles that discussed this stuff. Uh, The first one said that basically there was a loophole. It seemed to hinge on the idea that a private party could claim a parcel of land on, say, the moon, but then if a country recognized it, then that would be a violation of the Outer Space Treaty, and this was sort of the loophole they were talking about, like just basically a country withdrawing. And I was wondering, first off, if there was any more nuance to the article that I missed, and second, uh, if you could talk more about that. Like, if a country wanted to do this. Like, say, a citizen of Zimbabwe somehow was able to get to the moon and start doing something on it, and then Zimbabwe said, okay, we're going to start to recognize this. What would happen? What would be the fallout? What do you think would be the situation there?
1: Well, Going back to the Outer Space Treaty, I mean, you correctly pointed out Article 2, which says that outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, is not the subject of national appropriation by claim of sovereignty, by means of use or occupation, or by any other means. And the the loophole article purports that, well, this just means governments. It says it's not subject to national appropriation. But that misses what lawyers love to do, And that's to parse out every single drop of meaning from a simple phrase. And if you look at that Article 2, which is just a one-sentence article, and what it says, you have to do what uh, lawyers love to do and pay attention to the details, and that's the commas. Uh, When you look at it, it says, is not subject to national appropriation by claim of sovereignty, comma. And then, after the comma, by means of use or occupation, comma, and then the preposition or, which is very important, and then by any other means. So, as a lawyer, if I'm tasked with parsing that out, what I'm going to say is, all right, those are three different things. It's not subject to national appropriation by claim of sovereignty. That's one. That covers the government. And then the second point, after the comma, is by means of use or occupation. I think an argument can be made that that then covers the uh, private individuals, private companies, private parties, because it's saying, if you, whoever you are, a company, a person, if you go up there and you try to use or occupy uh, a celestial body, uh, that's you're not allowed to do that under this article. And then the comma or, which is why I think there are three separate uh, statements when you use an or in there, or by any other means is basically a lawyer's catch-all and, and favorite kind of phrase that, all right, but, and anything else we can't think of at this moment, yeah, you can't do that. Uh, so that's kind of my lawyer parsing of the of the article. It, you have to pay attention to those things, and I think it's kind of like the joke in that West Wing episode where Toby says, I, I, I think I found a, a comma in the takings clause that changes the whole meaning. He's right, that can happen. You know, a, a comma can place a certain... Uh, it placed in a certain place can change the meaning of a sentence, especially to a lawyer.
0: Well, I think my sixth grade English teacher would love this discussion, <laughs> but, <laughs> but also I can, I can actually start to see now why the second amendment to the U S constitution has so many different interpretations now.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, if,
0: if these commas can change anything, so then, or not change anything, but the meaning changes whether or not you have these commas. So then, what do you think, and this, I'm asking for uh, speculation here, so your disclaimer definitely applies here, what do you think would happen in terms of a country withdrawing from the Outer Space Treaty and saying, okay, we do want to, we're going to grant this company these rights?
1: Well, I think it comes back to ultimately political uh, fights, but you, you'd have to have the government to back you up on it. I think if you know the i mean if
2: the zimbabweans or zimbabwe I- if they if they landed on a chunk of the moon and they said you know the the, the sea of tranquility that's now our territory we own it and we're going to start selling plots of land and we're going to have people setting up lovely little moon houses on the, the moon and we're backing out of this treaty well well then what you have is you could have the rest of the world the united states and china and 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 Honduras or whatever saying no you can't do that and then you have a political disagreement and uh, if you really want to get speculative uh, when people fight over territory it's usually not just political but by uh, it gets to be military yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to get like two. But I mean, that's what happens. That's what people fought the French and Indian Wars. that I was talking about earlier.
1: I think they definitely go to the United Nations first. I mean, there'd definitely be a meeting called, and the, everyone's going to be like, uh, "Zimbabwe, get up here and explain yourself."
2: And where'd you get your <laughs> rockets from, anyway? Yeah, I <laughs> uh, just it happened for
0: some reason to be the country that I thought of because <laughs> I didn't want to say the United States.
1: Yeah. No, but I I think that you're going to be called to account before the United Nations because this is a United Nations document if you try to withdraw. And I think the countries are going to get together and start doing what countries do. uh, Embargoes and sanctions and strictly worded... uh,
2: Sternly worded (laughs) letters and finger wagging. Yes,
1: (laughs) finger wagging very much.
2: Okay.
0: Uh, So then that that I think uh, pretty much addresses that article. So Literally four days later, there was a follow-up posted where the two authors wrote and said that they disagreed with the approach from the first person. Uh, the article seemed really technical to me. I mean, I tried to reread it today before this uh, recording, and I couldn't quite figure out what they were saying. So I was hoping that first you could explain it and then give your opinion on it.
1: Yeah, the um, that was the... How the U.S. can lead the way to extraterrestrial land deals. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I'll think, I'll
0: link up to all of these uh, for people who are listening right now in the show notes, so they can follow I, along.
1: Yeah, I think this is the one I agreed with the most, this follow-up. I think this is the one that said, the loophole doesn't exist. Yeah, this is... Um, I think this was the best written article and the one I agreed with most uh, as a lawyer uh, when looking at it. The, the, I think they, they looked at Article 2 the same way I would, and they think it doesn't exist, especially when you bring in Article 6 as well, which says that, all right, even supposing that non-governmental entities are going to go up and do something uh they still need to be authorized and supervised by a government. You know, a government. Some government still has to te- uh, step up and take responsibility. So I think you're still uh, showing that everything needs to go through a government, and there can't be any appropriation by uh, private individuals. So I agreed with this article, and I also thought it was interesting how they were uh, saying that we should. I believe this is the article that said we should analogize this to the water, um, the seabed mining claims and the the treaty about underwater uh, exploration. And I thought that was very smart. I, I really agreed with this article. I thought it was very smart to uh, say that, all right, I think the outer space treaty doesn't have a loophole, but maybe something should be done in terms of mirroring this against the uh, underwater uh, laws stating that there can be exclusive mining rights for limited durations and limited periods.
2: Nigel? No, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, the gist of it I, I took away was, okay, so your Zimbabweans go to the moon and they start mining. They can't own the area that they're mining, but they but they will be regulated by Zimbabwe and follow rules and regulations and steps and whatnot from Zimbabwe. But The idea was that you can still, it'll give you a framework to exploit the resources of the moon without actually owning it.
0: And so, was this basically proposing then a new treaty in order to cover this? Because my understanding is that they still, people still can't do this under the current international agreements.
2: Well, I'm I'm going to be honest, I forget if this was this article or another one that I read, but it was kind of saying how uh, when the United States, who, uh, actually went to the moon, even though Joe Rogan denies it, and we came back with our hundreds of pounds of moon rock. Um, if under the strict terms of the treaty, and people were saying this at the time, we should have handed all those moon rocks over to the UN or, you know, something, some international agency, and instead the United States uh, United States, basically said, no, these are our rocks, and then we very shortly thereafter traded some of our uh, Lunar samples for a small portion of the ones that the uh, Soviets brought back on one of their probes, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of set up a little precedent, saying that well, you can. It, it, it was almost it was almost like what I would call in our country a common law sort of a precedent, international law, saying that well, you can own these items that you bring back, at least for a, a national use, that you don't have to hand it over. Um, uh, but there it. But they would actually, I mean, right now, there's nothing more than just that one small little precedent say, stating um, how you exploit the resources of space. So I, I kind of took it as there has to be something else done. I mean, once technology gets to the point where uh, private sector companies can actually launch out of Florida and uh, start exploiting space, right now it's it's it looks as if they couldn't keep if they go up there and they get uh, un- unobtainium, and they get all the <laughs> unobtainium that they need, but they can't use it because they can't own it, well, there's, something's got to be done about that.
0: Okay, well, I think actually that's a great lead into the third yeah. article, uh, which is less related to the original episode 27 I did, but this was basically posted about three weeks ago as we recording, where. A few billionaires got together and proposed sending a privately built and funded space probe to mine nearby asteroids, bring the material back to Earth, refine it, and sell it completely independent pretty much from government. And I think that's really the summary of the article, and I was sort of wondering what your thoughts were on this given what you just said and, again, what the current international agreements would be.
2: The common law in the United States and all the Commonwealth countries of of Great Britain, our law is – we're common law countries where um, our court system actually sets up part of the laws separate and apart from the legislature. And so the precedence of each court case building on on, on top of each court case um, is called the common law. Um, not all countries have that. Most European countries and most of the countries of the world ha- are code countries where all their law is based on actual code, and there's no part of it that's just built, built upon uh, precedence of court cases. Did I say that? Did yes. I explain that correctly? Yes. Uh, she's much more uh, strict about these definitions than I am.
1: Well, I don't know if strict's the right word, but...
2: Um, anyway, uh, getting back to um, your question about the, the third article... Um, I mean, the way I, I look at the whole thing is, is that right now, is every way everything is set up, there's no, there's no framework set up about how to have a private company go out, grab an asteroid, and mine it. And the article seem to be suggesting that they can go up there, mine the asteroid, not take ownership of the asteroid, but only um, benefit from the, the, the resources that are taken from it. Um, And that's something that needs to be addressed and isn't addressed right now in international law. Um, And of course, they they bring up an example of, you know, if you have a very large asteroid and you have one company mining on one side and another company from another country mining on the other side, that may not be a big problem. But if you have a smaller asteroid and you move the entire asteroid closer to Earth to make it easier to mine, are you actually just using the entire asteroid as a resource or can you still not own that asteroid and you know there, there's no answer to that right now um, but it will be a nice day when we actually do make that a question that we have to answer
1: yeah I think changing the position of the asteroid is something that would again going back to Locke's theory of labor it, if, you, if you as a private company went up and moved that asteroid closer to Earth why should other private companies benefit <coughs> from you moving it closer for them to go up and mine it? It should be exclusive you Exclusively yours, but I under the Outer Space Treaty, I don't think that's allowed right now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't read the treaty that way. And I think the treaty is uh, difficult in terms of mining rights because it, it says that this exploration in space should be done for you know scientific purposes and all mm-hmm. that, and for education for all. And so they want everyone to share all this. I, you know, I, I have to admit, I'm still a little fuzzy as to how. United States got around not sharing the lunar samples with everyone, especially under this treaty, other than they're the United States and they can do what they want. kind Yeah, of that's big what bully. I was going to say.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's it's just, a, we did it.
1: Yeah, it's just the kind of being the big superpower bully argument. And it worked, but it, I think technically we were in violation of the outer space treaty, but no one was going to call us on it.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. And uh, you know, and I, it's one of those things I think in 67 when this treaty was signed, it was a nice thing to do. But once you land 12 men on the moon and uh, you spend all those billions of dollars to do it, uh, you don't want to really give away some of the fruits of that labor. Yeah. So, well, well here, we're going to give away all these rocks. They're, no, there are rocks. I'm going to yeah. keep them. Ha-ha. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't think we were about to give those away. No, no. And and down with the Air and Space Museum in D.C., there's this one spot where they have this little, like, one-by-two-inch triangle of, like, a thin sheet of the moon you get to touch.
0: Yeah, I think I've done that.
2: I've done that, like, every time I've gone there. Even when I, I guess, last time I was there, I was in my mid-30s, I always have to do that.
1: Yeah, and I think just going back to the... uh, my reference to the sea, the underwater sea treaty, the law of the sea treaty, I think it is. I think a lot of what's been done with sea mining, I think uh, the article had noted that it's a lot of interlocking national laws. I think at this point, I'm not sure how much uh, sovereign nations would want to go through the United Nations for this, especially if we want to try to promote uh, private companies to, Exploring uh, the space for profit, so that the government doesn't have to bear the burden. I think you really do. It would be up to the the uh, spacefaring nations, if you will, to create a uh, complementary national laws in terms of private companies going up uh, to space and and mining and and I think that would. I really think that would be the way to go with it. I think you can't really go by treaty anymore. It's the United Nations is not going to have something that everyone is going to agree with anymore.
0: Yeah. Well, so then that does raise the question of what do you think would be the legal situation if this company, you know, if the you know, dozen billionaires or whatever start to build a, a spaceship and they're like, okay, we're launching tomorrow. What you, as lawyers, do you think the legal situation would be and what, or do you think other countries would react and point out this treaty or – I mean,
2: Well, uh, let's assume this company gets off the ground and they, they build a rocket and it's going to be launched from the United States. I think it's the United States' um, uh, responsibility to basically tell them what they can or cannot do. And If they do go up and the US approves the launch, then it's up to the United States to basically – bear the responsibility and the burden of keeping an eye on this operation I mean we but, do, I,
1: I, I but think there's nothing
2: officially out there that that basically says this is going to occur it just that's how we we'll would probably have to have
1: I think if the billionaires got together and, and started launching these rockets and, and actually did manage to reach a celestial yeah. body I worry that that would set up the situation of the law having to catch up with them instead oh, yeah. of have uh, having something drafted. Beforehand, So I, I agree with Simberg in a sense that something should be done. We There needs to be some kind of law or treaty or something put together because I think eventually this is going to be, need to be addressed. And it, some people might think it's still too far off, but I think you want the law to be in front of this. You don't want the law to be catching up because once someone takes an action and then you have to... Uh, I mean, there's such a thing in the law that you can't retroactively charge someone with a crime, you know. Mm-hmm. You can't uh, have someone, you know, uh, attack someone with a banana. But let's say there's no law that addresses it. You can't create the law after the attack and have it apply. Uh, so I'm sure there's some legal term. post facto. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's right. Dickinson overcomes Widener right there.
1: Yeah, yeah he's we talking about
2: two, our We law went to schools. two different law schools, so we have a rivalry going <laughs> on.
0: I see it, it, but it, were they yeah. really big rival schools, or <clears throat> not really?
1: Not really. They're just both in the same area, so they both. Okay. Um, so it's not like Michigan kind of and Ohio compete? State. No, no. But no. they—it's just the students are because they're in the same geographical area will compete for you know uh, internships and the like. Okay.
2: Although my, my law school is technically dead because right after I graduated, Penn State took it over. So. I'm bitter. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get over it. <laughs> no, no, I won't to be honest no I, it's been fifteen years I'm still better so
1: so I don't know if I can really speculate uh, trying to get back to your question. I'm sorry, I don't know that I can really speculate what would happen because i just i, I think if the billionaires got together and they're on a faster timetable than uh the knowledgeable lawyers in regard to international law and space law if they're ahead of the curve i uh, you know I just don't even know how you begin to address that other than to try. Now that it's happened, I think there would be a big press to get the national laws in place, but it's kind of, you let the cat out of the bag already.
0: Yeah. So I don't really know how these things are are done. Like, is it generally where people do try to anticipate what's going to happen and build up the laws before it happens?
1: I think that's where lobbying groups come in. You'll have, uh, especially if you have private companies involved, uh, let's say the billionaires form a company that's, you know, we're, all right, we're dedicated to mining, you know, a certain asteroid. I think they could, uh, I think they'd rather not have the law. They'd rather have the benefit of of confusion in the area. Mm-hmm. But the, you'd also have, I think, certain lobbying Firms And certain political think tanks that would push for laws to be made in this area, especially when news gets out that the hopefully before the rocket launches, I think you'd have lobbying interests uh, for mining for uh, rare minerals. You'd have, you know. Uh, different science groups uh, all making a push to lobby for uh, laws to be in place. And I think a lot of them would lobby for laws to be in place for sharing of the minerals to an extent. Um, But I think as Sinberg recognizes, you need to have some profit in it for the company, for for any company to make this jump and make this viable.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, otherwise there's not going to be any point to a private company doing it because (coughs) they're there to make a profit.
2: Right. Yeah, if you can't make a... I mean, I'm all for the privatization of space if it gets us up there a lot more doing stuff. But unless you make a profit at it, no one's going to do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it just... That's the way the world works.
1: And so that's where the Outer Space Treaty, I think, to some extent, is going to have to become a little obsolete. Because... uh, no company's going to want to share everything for the benefit of all mankind. (laughs) No one is altruistic anymore, unfortunately. Uh, uh, So you're going to have to limit, I think, the Outer Space Treaty to an extent and and come up with a national law saying that while we recognize this document, we also recognize the need for privatization and that uh, although we would – In state sharing, to some extent, it's not going to be a wholesale 100% sharing of all minerals and rights and all that entails.
2: I mean, it's sort of uh, similar to in the 30s and 40s when air travel started to go international and get larger. Uh, There were two um, uh, conferences and two um, agreements that were struck. One of them was the Warsaw Convention, which dealt with liability in, in international air travel. And another one was the Chicago Convention, which was written up during World War II. And it, the, basically, even to this very day, those two agreements basically give the framework of, you know, who can travel where and 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 what, ha, who bears the burden and the risk if a plane crashes in the middle of the Atlantic, that type of thing. Um, one of the things that the Chicago Treaty banged out, which is stuff that could happen in the future in space, is, you know, who gets to travel between... The United States and our our glorious moon base that we're going to put up there someday. Um and that's actually and, somewhere in law right now. Well, no. Well, I'm trying to sit, sit there and say in the 19 at the Chicago Treaty. If you ever notice, if you want to try, fly between, say, uh, St. Louis and New York, all the airlines doing those flights are American, American, United States based airlines. Mm-hmm. You can't get on British Airways and fly between St. Louis and New York, even though their planes can do it, because according to certain treaties, the Chicago Treaty, travel within a country is called cabotage, and you cannot have a foreign air carrier do cabotage within another, country, uh, over in, within another country's airspace, which means that you know a British Airways flight can fly unloaded between St. Louis and New York in order to you know, move from one hangar to another or to do something for business, but they can't carry passengers. Hmm. Um, but those type of like nitty gritty regulations and rules are not in place, and they they have to be they have to be put into place. So at some point
1: for outer space for
2: outer space, there need to be those type of same regulations set up. Otherwise, you know, you, you have chaos. Okay. Well,
0: I, I actually do have a final question. I just thought of. Um, sure. We can try to make this one short because it's it's almost a joke in and of itself. <coughs> um, Newt Gingrich, when he was a presidential candidate still, had proposed that by the end of his illustrious second term in 2020, or I guess by 2021, that the United States would have a moon colony and that he would recognize it as the 51st state. And I was curious as to what you two thought about that. I mean, I can I can guess what you two thought about that in terms of the law, given what we've already said over the last half hour, but... What do you
2: mean in the law or... In politics. <laughs> let's, let's not get into politics. I try to not make this political. Because as you know, as you might be aware, um, you know, Hershey is a few miles from the state capital of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is Newt Gingrich's birth state and birth city, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah, good for him. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We, we we try not to talk about that too much.
1: Well, I think um, the question is obvious that he. I think he'd have to withdraw or just say, I don't give a fig for the Outer Space Treaty and – um, I want to exercise the full power of the United States and claim this for the United States, which is, well, it's an interesting move. But I think he'd have to, you know, just declare the treaty null and void for the United States.
0: And at least for the United States, can a president do that or does it need an act of Congress?
1: Oh, Ooh, you damn. stumped us on that one. God, I got I, the we lawyers. Don't- <laughs> You did it, yeah. You finally got us. Uh, uh, we could take a guess, but we really not offhand. I, I do don't know. If you, I, the, if really, if I don't if, know if
2: the president can unilaterally do that, or if he needs the advice and the consent of the Senate to pull out. I, I yeah, just don't know off I the really, top of my head.
1: I feel horrible now. I hope you're happy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Have a Hershey's kiss.
1: I'll try. Oh, my God. Now I have to look
2: it up, you realize. Yeah, I'm Um, trying to look it up real quick. And I I just as a a quick side note, when you did the Stellar uh, Scams uh, episode and you talked about buying a star. Oh, yes. I I almost did that when I was in college. Shame on you. And the reason (laughs) I didn't do it is that when I was talking about it in my astronomy lab class with our our, our, uh, astronomy professor, and he, he looked at me and he goes, but the only way you can do that is if you discover one. So what are you planning on buying, like, a really big telescope or something? I was like, what? He goes, no, 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 that's a big scam. That's a fraud. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but if it wasn't for uh, Dr. Marshall at Gettysburg College, yeah, I would have probably plunked down 45 bucks that I barely had when I was 19 years old on a star, but uh, I didn't. So. Yes,
0: well, unfortunately, um, I, I just watched the episode of Glee where uh, one of the characters buys another one a star, and I was very unhappy with that.
2: I don't watch that program but the but the Mrs. does. Did did you see that?
1: I don't remember that actually. It, Who brought it? Uh
2: Finn bought it for
0: Rachel.
1: Oh, oh, I do remember that. Yeah, and I
0: think he said oh. he named it after himself as opposed to her so that because she already was going to be a star and so this was that Oh when,
1: yeah. just like okay, it oh, was
0: sweet yeah. but no, it's a scam. Well, yeah. in my opinion it is a blah, blah, blah. <laughs> So so actually um I guess since this is a bit of a follow up to episode twenty seven, um, can I ask for your non legal opinion, but opinion about those types of companies?
2: I think it hinges on how um, much is and how clearly is it explained that basically all you're doing is getting your name in somebody's random book saying that according to their. You, their booklet that star is kind of named sort of kind of after you or whatever um if it's in big bold letters saying this is basically just a um novelty thing i think it's fine i think the more vague you write it the more trouble you run into
1: and you just and each of those companies only has to follow uh for the most part the laws of the state they're in where they're incorporated they need to follow the laws in terms of disclaimers uh, for that state and then uh, to any extent that there's any interstate commerce because you'll have people from different states mm-hmm. buying stuff from this company. They'll they'll follow the federal laws. But I think as long as they have – and you mentioned on your, on your episode how they had disclaimers and you mentioned the one seemed to be a bit misleading. So I worry about that one, that company. I think it was by the stars, B-U-Y. Yeah.
0: I mean that They're, one, they, I could not really find
2: any sort of disclaimer on their website. Yeah, and yeah, the, that's troublesome <laughs> and the the one where it was selling a, a a piece of Martian property oh yeah that was and, and they had the <laughs> and they had the Martian tax yes <laughs> I, I, I mean there's just no such thing. I mean I, I guess I can't say for sure 100 percent that it, it it's a scam, but it sure doesn't look good.
0: yeah, well, with that I, I one what... I'm, I'm almost wondering if that was a, an illustration of Poe's law because uh,
2: you know if the and if that Martian yeah, tax was exactly. the the
0: giveaway because that was just so ludicrous.
2: Yeah, that that's just – because before, uh, this morning, I was doing a little research and just kind of going through – Googling around on those websites. And, um, yeah, you're right. Those websites were all designed in, like, 1999. Oh, yeah. They, they're they're so terrible. Um, but, yeah, I, I some of them looked a little tongue-in-cheek. And other ones, I just think they were kind of written for uh, suckers.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think the disclaimers are the big thing. But you really – you don't have an issue with the company until someone decides to sue. Yeah. I mean, that's where the trouble will come in for the company. If someone raises a fuss, they'll either settle out of court with them or say, oh, I'm sorry, here, I'll refund your money. I mean, companies know ways to get around being caught out. (laughs) You know, they'll offer something to get around uh, any legal suits that would cause them to shut down. But yeah, you're not going to have any issue with these companies operating as long as they're technically following the bounds of the law and uh, no one has complained about their actions.
0: Yeah, well, and just so everyone in the audience knows, at least at least in the U.S., and I would think in most countries, and this is something that I just learned recently, is that if a company is doing something illegal in order to call them out on it, you still have to have someone actually call them out and be a litigant. And, like, so with all the yeah. court cases in terms of, you know, is creation isn't being taught in the school, if they can't find... A student, and then their parents who are willing to complain. Then no one can really sue the school district, is my understanding. And I was yeah,
1: absolutely. You, you
2: need standing to yeah. order to bring the suit. And, and that that's that happened. A, a battle
1: that happened in the Pledge of Allegiance case, didn't it? I think it was the father of the child was trying to bring the suit, and I think there might have been a standing issue there where he, they said it wasn't the child because. I think the parents were divorced, so only the father was bringing it. And I think there was a a standing issue there where they said he couldn't bring that suit because uh, he didn't have standing uh, in terms of guardianship of the child. Right,
0: and then later on he sued again. This time it was on behalf of a different set of parents.
1: Right, right.
0: All right. Well, uh, have you by chance looked up whether or not the president can unilaterally withdraw or... Were you not doing that while we were
1: chatting? No, I was trying. It's hard to find. um, Yeah, she's digging under my
2: iPad (laughs) desperately. I I think
1: the the president can make that call. I mean, that's going to be my educated, wildly unfounded guess (laughs) that the president makes that call. But, I mean, I honestly – But if there are any
2: attorneys out there versed in international law
0: (laughs) Well, I urge everyone to Google it. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's not easily Googleable for some reason. I mean, I just tried – All right. Well, uh, is there anything else that you thought uh, might be relevant or remotely relevant to this topic that uh, you wanted to bring up?
2: I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Can you?
1: No, I just, I think, uh, always look at the commas. And (laughs) it is my bottom line.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, in that case, uh, since we weren't really talking about a conspiracy theory, I can't ask you my typical question. Of uh you know if you got into a darkened room with these people and they had to listen to you what would you <laughs> what would you say or ask of them so uh, I think that we can
2: well I mean well you know oh, okay. if I got into a darkened room with somebody who's running some of these websites not businesses <laughs> that are going to go to the asteroids and, and mine I, I think they're after a dollar I mean and and you know God love them but um but for these people who are running these websites saying they're gonna sell you a chunk of the moon or something I, I would just love to get them in a darkened room and say <laughs> You know, all right, you know, somebody uh, gets a rocket. They go to that pl- plot of land where they claim they own because of you. And, you know, they get there and I don't know that the, there's a Chinese uh, owner already sitting there from him. What are you going to do? Like, what, what are you going to do to protect that claim that you just sold to somebody? And I think they're going to look at you and go, abba, 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 abba. I, I got nothing. Um, but I think that's where the, the gist of that would come down. I mean, how do you enforce what you're saying that you're selling? And I think the answer is they can't.
1: I got it. Sorry. (laughs) The treaty question. Okay. (laughs) Um, uh, this all, yeah, I found an article that brings back all that constitutional law stuff. Um, the, The key language in the Constitution says that a president can make treaties on behalf of the U.S. subject to consent of two-thirds of the Senate. But on its face, it doesn't say anything about terminating or withdrawing from those treaties. Uh, It only talks about entering into those treaties. So I think the argument can likely be made that the president does not need consent from the Senate. I think he can terminate or withdraw. Uh, (laughs) President Bush... um, George W. Bush actually withdrew from a treaty, uh, the uh, commonly known as the ABM Treaty. When I
0: was Googling, that was... Everything that came up was about Bush withdrawing from that, but I couldn't see in there if Congress had said okay or if he needed to go to them first.
1: Yeah, it doesn't look like he went to them. Uh, It looks like he made this decision on its own, but I think it might have been stronger because uh, the... uh, it might have been stronger because I think Russia was also withdrawing. I'm not sure about that. But it. I, I think the, uh, the bottom line is because there's no uh, set, set sentence in the Constitution talking about terminating or withdrawing. And uh, the only time Congress or the Senate comes in is when you're ratifying a treaty. I think the president can withdraw or terminate. Okay.
0: Well, that's good mm-hmm. to know then. If I ever become president (laughs) or just just in general. So like, you know, if this were to happen uh, in the future. Uh, So then I think that that's, that's about it.
2: Okay. Well, um, Stuart, thank you for having us on. And thank you for coming on and
0: explaining the law to us. Hopefully it was uh, interesting enough. uh, Well, not interesting. Hopefully it was interesting uh, to the, uh, everyone else. And
2: it, it was a little bit of an unusual type of episode. Yeah. It's more um, like the law. I mean, this is not really we're not t- talking about um, science or, <laughs> or, or you know, that normal thing that you would discuss. No,
0: but it does that. apply to some of these, I guess, um, again, using the non-legal definition of the word scam type stuff. And then mm-hmm. it also applies to current events in terms of you know what if these private companies do end up getting their rocket ships to an asteroid and bringing them closer to Earth or something.
1: And as lawyers, we always like to end our shows as we begin them with another disclaimer. That <laughs> okay. Everything we said cannot be taken as advice. Uh, we're just expressing our own personal opinions based upon our reading of the laws. Uh, so we don't profess to be experts or to be giving legal advice.
2: <laughs> All right. And I'm sure everyone can appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, Stuart. Well, thanks for having us on. Thank and you. thank you and for being if on. If you're ever in town, I'll make sure that you do not get one one morsel of any of our delicious Hersey's chocolate
0: i'm fine without that waxy stuff (laughs) all right thanks a lot all right thank you That wraps up this 37th topic in addition of the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed it and learned a little at the same time. And thanks again to Lady and Nigel for joining us. For more information about this podcast, please visit the website at podcast.sjrdesign.net. If you have any feedback... Please use the feedback form on the website, send an email to podcast at sjrdesign.net, or leave a comment on the page for this episode on the website. I read every email, and I do appreciate the feedback. If you have any suggestions for topics, please feel free to make them. If you liked this podcast, or even if you didn't, please write a review and rate it on iTunes. Also tell your friends and your family.